Thank you, Tiffany and team. Good morning, guys. I um, want to just say thank you for being with us today, and uh, I'm uh, excited about what we're going to jump into this morning just a little bit. Before we do, though, I'm going to ask the ushers to come and to take our morning offering. And somebody a couple weeks ago said something to me, it seemed that the offering's an awkward transition from worship, and I corrected them. I said, no, actually, it's a wonderful transition because we give as an act of love and worship to God. So this is your church, this is your church home. We encourage you to give to support what God's doing here. If you're a guest today, uh, you don't feel obligated to give. If you worry about uh, churches being all about money, that's not us. Let the service be our gift to you. I also wanna tag off something that Matt said about the EP 101 class. Um, guys, it's our goal. My goal as a senior pastor, get every one of you to go through that. And we've had a lot of people that have taken the course. Um, 101's uh, the base, the core class about uh, who we are, what we're about, why we exist, what we're trying to accomplish and do. And uh, we want every one of you to go through that. You think, well, I did that like 10 years ago. It's completely revised, it's changed, it's new. And it's good to have a refresher nonetheless. So even if you went through it a long time ago, so while I did that at, at another purpose-driven church, I went to 101 someplace else. Ours is a little different. Come, we want you to sign up. Now, one of the things I love about our church is you're amazing, and you also have the gift of procrastination. And that's not really a gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's definitely one that we practice, and me too, around here. So I encourage you, uh, sign up. You can go online right now, eastpointchurch.com, and look for the, uh, the banner on our opening page and sign up for EP 101. We need you to know who's coming next week. And then I want to say one last thing about that. Somebody also said to me, well, it's a long day to show up for service and then stay and then go to you know, three, three and a half hour class in the afternoon. That just makes for a long day. Listen carefully. If you have to choose between church and EP 101, choose EP 101. You have my permission to stay home next Sunday morning. Sleep in, have brunch, and then show up here by one o'clock for the EP 101 class. And if you've taken 101, then the next step is 201, which is a fun, fantastic class. If you've taken 101 the last year and you've not signed up for 201, you wanna miss that as well. So I encourage you to do that. Enough said. Let's move in today. We're gonna be um, in part two of our series, Finding Answers in the Hard Times. Finding Answers in the Hard Times. And today we're gonna consider what should I do when the dream dies, when unexpected things happen and the dream actually dies. We'll be in Genesis chapter 37. If you've got your Bible, your Bible app, open to Genesis Chapter 37, we're actually gonna go through 13 chapters today, Genesis 37 through 50. Some of you just lost your breath. You panicked a little bit. I can see it on your face. I'm gonna punch through those chapters pretty quickly, give you the highlights. We'll select a few passages. But it's the story of Joseph. It's one of my favorites. Most of us, in fact, probably all of us, at some point in our lives, we've experienced uh, our share of the unexpected and maybe the unwanted in our lives. Uh, it's rare to find somebody, unless they're about you know, three years of age or younger that can't identify quickly something they've gone through that was unexpected, unwanted, and for a lot of you, maybe even this last week. But we go through things in life. You take a new job, it looks like it's filled with potential, you're excited, you jump in, and then you find out that you work for Attila the Hun or, you know, a dictator like Kim Jong-un, and you, you're panicked now, what am I gonna do? Maybe you get married and you expect your life to be the American dream and for a while it's romantic and filled with fun and lots of great things and then the years go by, maybe the decades go by and your marriage that you thought was gonna be American dream has now turned out to be nightmare on Elm Street and it's not what you expected. Maybe you've got a best friend and somebody you'd do anything for. You would literally do anything for this person but they betrayed you and they wounded you more deeply than you've ever been wounded before. It's the, the close ones it's our family and friends that can hurt us the most. Let me say it one more time. I could go on and give lots of examples. I don't think I need to. Most of you already have your own. Life is full of unexpected surprises, full of the unwanted. I want to give you a snapshot of the life of Joseph. I mentioned last week we're going to take a look at Joseph's life, one of my favorite 
stories in the Bible. And it runs from Genesis 37 through Genesis chapter 50. And I'm gonna give you a snapshot of some things that happened. This is how we're gonna get through 13 chapters in about eight minutes. Because I want you to see, though, I want you to listen for the unexpected things that happened in his life. First off, Joe was the 11th son of his father, Jacob, also known as Israel. And he's very special to Jacob. He's the 11th son, but it says in Genesis 37, verse 3, that Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. Not to mention the fact that it was his first son at that point, only son by his most loved wife, Rachel. So it says here in Genesis 37 that, that uh, Jacob gave favor to his son. Now, favoritism is not a good idea in any family. Just a little insight there if you're wondering. It's, now, you might have a favorite kid, but you really shouldn't tell them that they're the favorite or tell the rest of them. It creates a little bit of tension, as you can imagine. And certainly in this family, favoritism did not go over very well. In fact, Joseph's 10 older brothers absolutely hated him. Hated him. Now, Jacob the daddy demonstrated his favor to Joseph by giving him uh, a tunic, a very richly ornamented robe was how it's described. Probably a, sh a shirt-like tunic that went down, down to his, his ankles. Uh, what you need to know about that, what does that matter? It's like, well, big, what's the big deal? And it may have been multicolored. The, the Hebrew words there are, can be translated different ways. But whatever, what's, what's indicated here is that this tunic, this ornamented tunic that he's wearing was the clothes that prince sons wore. The, the the, the favored ones wore. And so this is basically Jacob, the daddy's way of saying to Joseph, you're my favorite son, you're the prince among all your brothers, you're the one that's really special to me. And obviously that did not go well with his older brothers either. And then just to add insult to injury, you gotta wonder about Joseph sometimes, at least in his early stages, how bright he really was, because he has this dream. And it's a dream of these sheaves of wheat bowing down before him. And so he already knows he's not liked, he's hated by his brothers. He's always got, already has some issues there. And he goes to his brothers. He says, guys, guess what? I had this dream and you're all going to bow down before me someday. How do you think that went over? Not so well. And then he has a second dream. You know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me, whatever. It's just, I cannot believe he has a second dream. It's about the sun, the moon, the stars all bowing down before him. And he tells the entire family. And even Jacob at this point gives him a, a little bit of a hard time. He says, son, uh, you know, he's the sun. I, I, I'm the sun, the moon. The, the, your mom and I are going to bow down before you. Who do you think you are? It does say that Jacob wondered what this was all going to mean in the life of his son. But things did not go well. Joseph is young, spoiled, foolish, and probably full of pride. We find out later, though, that the revelations, those dreams were, in fact, from God. They were revelations from the Lord. But not every dream is meant to be told. There's another little insight. And telling the dreams only made his brothers hate him even more. So here's what the brothers decide to do. They decide to murder him. Talk about your dysfunctional families. I, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying this is not good. His 10 brothers decide to murder him. Reuben, the oldest child, uh, has a plan. He doesn't actually want, I think he's kind of uh, trying to protect, it says, protect his brother, and he, he's gonna come back and try and save him. He says, well, instead of murdering him, instead of his blood being in our hands, let's just throw him in a pit and let him die. Yeah, think about it. If I'm in this situation, I'd rather be killed instantly by my brothers than thrown into a pit to be left to die by starvation or thirst. But Reuben has a plan. The plan was he was going to come back to, to pull Joseph out. So they throw Joseph into a pit. But while Reuben's out getting a sandwich, you guys are much sharper than the first service, I just tell you, or more caffeinated, I'm not sure. 
Why is that getting the sandwich? His older brothers end up selling Joseph to some Ishmaelite traders. They see traders coming and they think, oh, we got a better idea. Instead of letting him die in the pit, let's make some money off of him. And so they sell him to these traders who are on their way to Egypt. The traders sell Joseph in Egypt to a guy named Potiphar, who is the captain of Pharaoh's guards, and he's now a slave. Genesis chapter 39, we find him as a slave. But even there, it's interesting. It says that Joseph prospers in Potiphar's house. In fact, Potiphar recognizes so much that this guy's sharp and he's got it all together that Potiphar puts everything in his household under his charge. Things are good. At least as good as things can be when you've been threatened by your brothers, tried to, tried to kill you, they sell you off to slaves, and now you're, you're in Egypt in a foreign land far from your, your father that you love, far from everything you know. So he's doing you know, better than it could be, I guess, in some ways. But it says in Genesis 39, 6, that Joseph is a stud. That's the Bubna paraphrase version. It actually says he's well-built and handsome. But he was a handsome young man. And Potiphar's wife is a desperate housewife, apparently, and she tries to seduce him. So Joe refuses. He makes the right choice. says, nope, I'm not going to go there. He runs from her. She grabs, you know, his clothes, and, and she accuses him of rape. And uh, he then is, gets thrown into jail. He's thrown into prison. Joseph lands in Pharaoh's prison, falsely accused. But even in prison, it's amazing. We see the hand of God on this guy. Uh, the prison warden recognizes that he's got some things, and he puts the warden puts Joseph in charge of everything in the prison. But while in prison, and I'll, I'll give you the short and long version of a, of a in, little another story that happens there, uh, the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker get thrown in prison. They tick off Pharaoh. We don't know what they did, but Pharaoh throws them in prison. So they're now in prison with Job. They have dreams. And both of them have a dream. And Joseph says, well, the Lord interprets dreams. Let me tell you what this means. And he tells the cupbearer some really good news. Great news for you, dude. You're going to live. Three days from now, you're going to be out of here. And you're going to be restored. And everything's going to go well with you. He tells the, cup, the, uh, the baker, uh, sorry, bad news for you. Three days from now, you're going to be killed. And in fact, that's what happens. Three days later, the baker is killed. The uh, cupbearer is restored to Pharaoh's court. And Joseph pleads with him. In fact, it's found in chapter uh, Genesis 40, verse 23. Joseph pleads with him, please, when you get to Pharaoh, remember me and mention me to Pharaoh. Don't forget me. But it says in verse 23 that the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So Joe does a favor for this guy, pleads with him to remember him. As it turns out, he forgets him completely. Two more years. Two more years go by. Two more years of suffering unjustly in prison for something he didn't do. And in fact, at this point, if you look at the story, he's about 13 years into this journey. 13 long years from the time his brothers threw him in a pit now he's in prison he's not in a good place he's hated abused falsely accused forsaken forgotten he's gone from favored son status to slave and now he's a prisoner but that's not the end of the story things are about to dramatically change Pharaoh has a dream the most powerful man on the planet has a dream and nobody can interpret it and then the cupbearer goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, but there's a kid. What's his name? Joe, Joey, Joe, something. He's in prison. And he knows how to do this. And so sure enough, Pharaoh says, we'll bring him. Because Pharaoh tried all his wise guys, all the guys that should have known, all his, his, uh, his uh, people. And he says, bring this kid to me. And so sure enough, Joe comes in and he interprets the dream for Pharaoh. And here's what happens in Genesis 41, verse 39 to 40. Pharaoh recognizes that, that, that God has spoken through this kid and he has this God-ordained idea. Genesis 41, verse 39. Since God has made you, made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. 
You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. Pit, slave, prison, Pharaoh. And now he's number two in charge of everything in the nation. Talk about God moving in ways that blows your mind. Well, in the end, as you fast forward through the story, you find, sure enough, Joseph's brothers end up coming to Egypt for food during a time of famine. And Joseph, the dream that he interpreted for Pharaoh was there'll be seven years of famine, of, of uh, abundance, then seven years of famine. And so he said, I've got a plan. And so during the seven years of abundance, Joseph stored grain and food in all the cities throughout Egypt. And then during the seven years of famine, he was able to feed the people and take care of them. And sure enough, his brothers who you know, hear about this, they travel great distance and they show up in front of their very brother asking for food. Now they don't recognize, it's been at this point at least 20 years. They don't recognize that this is in fact their brother, but they're bowing before him, a fulfillment of the dream that Joseph had. It's an amazing story of a man who spent years in a very hard place, years being uh, uh, abused and forsaken and forgotten. And there's some lessons we can learn here. It's sort of many. But I want to talk about a couple of things, things that we should remember when the unexpected happens. Seems like the dream has died. The unwanted takes place in our life. Here's the first thing. It's on the backside of your bulletin if you want to take notes this morning. Here's the outline. Number one, deep wounds don't have to derail you from your God-given dreams or purpose. Deep wounds do not have to derail you from your God-given dreams or purpose. I've never met a person who hasn't experienced a wound at the hand of another. Most of us have had something happen, maybe not life-threatening, but we've had wounds. Many have deep, though, soul-piercing wounds. And sometimes, like Joseph, we are forced into a very hard and dark place by horrible and devastating things that have happened to us from someone else. I have a guy that I know, um, when he was eight years old, his uncle sexually abused him. And in fact, between eight and 11, so for three years, his uncle, his dad's brother, sexually abused him many times. And he lived with guilt and shame about that for years. Why victims feel guilt and shame is a whole other issue. But for a long time, for many years, he suffered just the burden, the weight, the guilt and shame of that. He's 20 years old. Fast forward, now he's in college, he's left home, he's far from his uncle, hasn't seen him for years. But he's still carrying this guilt and the shame and the pain of what he experienced. He's in college. He makes a friend with a guy who happens to be a Christian, a Christ follower. And this friend begins to talk to him about how Jesus can heal us and how Jesus can help us and how Jesus is there to, to give us new life and to give us hope. And at first, this guy this, that went through all this is like, shut the blank up. I don't want to hear it. I, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've experienced. I'm not, I, don't want to, I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me. But then there was something in his heart that just began to draw him in to wanting to know more. Is it possible that I could be healed? Is it possible that I don't have to live with this burden the rest of my life? Again, over a few months, he began to wrestle with God and finally surrendered his life to Jesus and became a Christ follower himself. And he would tell you, from that moment, I knew things were changing in my life. But they didn't change like that. He wasn't instantly healed. It began a process that literally took years for him to walk through healing, but the Lord helped him and was with him through the entire process. And the cool thing is today, he's an amazing husband and a father of two, and he's helped many, many, many other men who have been sexually abused. He's helped them through their own healing. What's the moral to that story? What's well, the same thing in Joseph? Let me say it again. Deep wounds don't have to de derail you from your God-given purpose and his dreams for your life. They don't have to. Maybe you've been hurt by a spouse. 
or by a parent or by a child. Maybe a once trusted friend has betrayed you and it's just torn your guts out. It's just left you in this horrible place. Listen, whatever the reason, whatever the circumstance, those deep wounds, the enemy wants to use them to derail you, to take you away from what God has planned for you. The enemy sees that, that if, if people saw the hand of God on Joseph, then believe me, the enemy sees it as well. And his plan is to kill, steal, and destroy, to do everything he can to, to derail, to move you off of your God-given purpose and his dreams for your life. And my challenge, my encouragement to you today is don't let that happen. Don't let it. Those wounds can consume you. They can devour you. They can leave you like roadkill on the side of the highway. I know. And I've seen a lot of people. That's exactly where, where they're at. Or you can get help. The help of God, the help of others. And find God's path to healing. You can find his path to healing. Now listen carefully to me. Not for a minute do I want to minimize the hurt you've experienced. Not for one second do I want to just make light of what you've gone through. Some of you have been tragically wounded by others. I understand. But again, let me say this as gently and clearly as I can. Staying there is not a healthy option. Living the rest of your life in that place of being a victim is not what God wants for you. He knows. He understands better than anyone. And he wants to walk you through a path of healing. You gotta walk through the mud sometimes, through the garbage, through the pain. And you gotta walk through it with a view to healing, meaning with a view to finding healing and wholeness in Christ that he does offer to all of us. Back to Joseph, you know, he could have shriveled up and quit on God. He could have quit on people, he could have quit on life, but he didn't do so. He was betrayed by his own brothers, falsely accused by his boss's wife, forgotten by the cupbearer, and then left to rot in prison. Things were not going very well for Joseph. Talk about your victims, but somewhere on the line, Joseph decided he would not give up on God or on life. And he never let those horrible and terrible, unfair events stop him from living a life that trusted in God. It's an amazing testimony to a man who walked in faith no matter what. Potiphar, the prison warden, even Pharaoh, recognized that the hand of God was on this man. They recognized that there was something about him and that would not, listen to me, that would not have been the case if Joseph had given up on God or on his God-given dreams. They would not have seen that in him if he had said, forget it, I'm done. In fact, even Joseph understood a bigger picture. Genesis chapter 50, move forward to Genesis 50. Let me read you verse 19 and 20. Joseph said to them, them being his brothers, when they recognize who he is and they finally figure out this is the brother that we tried to kill and we sold into slavery, he said, don't be afraid. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph understood, yeah, it was painful. Yep, what you did was wrong. It sucked, it hurt, it was devastating. But God is bigger than our pain. If you've been wounded, I ache for you. And I am so sorry. And I know that it has taken you probably into a very dark and lonely place. And like I said last week, though, that place can be a fertile place for growth if you will trust in God. If you'll hang on to him. Hang on to the God-given dreams that he has for you and stay the course. Don't be derailed. Get help. Find the path to healing. God wants to bring wholeness to your life. There's a saying, it goes like this. I, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's a great quote. It says, even when I cannot trace the hand of God, I must always trust his heart. 
even when I cannot trace the hand of God. And I, I'm not sure I, I see it, I feel it, I know it. it. says, I must always trust his heart. Don't let those painful things rip you off of what God wants to do in and through your life. Here's the second thing we need to remember. Number two, determine to do your best no matter what the test, and you will be blessed. Determine to do your best no matter what the test, and you will be blessed. Now, I know that could sound like a nice little religious cliche. Determine to do your best no matter what the test, and you will be blessed. Yeah, whatever. I understand how that can sound. But I want you to see in Joseph's life, that's exactly what happened. I don't know at what point in Joseph's life he decided that no matter what comes his way, that he was, he, he was gonna do his best. He was gonna stay the course. Was it as he was being dragged along in that caravan uh, on his way to Egypt, bound hand and, and dragged into slavery? I don't know. Was it when he stood on the auction block for the first time and, and he's being auctioned off? Can you imagine how horrible that would be? I don't know. It was there that he decided, no matter what, I'm gonna stay the course. Was it that first night in Potiphar's slave quarters? when he's alone and he's in a strange land and he's far from home and he's pretty convinced he's never gonna see his dad again. I don't know. Was it that first night, that dark, horrible night in a dungy prison cell, cell where he was unjustly and falsely accused and thrown there in prison? I don't know. I don't know when it happened, but I do know this. Somewhere along the way, Joseph determined to do his best no matter what the test and God blessed him for that decision. God blessed him. The Apostle Peter addresses this issue of what to do when evil is done against us and how we should respond. And he wrote these words in 1 Peter 3. If you're taking notes, jot down 1 Peter 3, verse 9 to 14. Let me read it to you. Peter says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Now, keep in mind, if you don't know this, Peter wrote this to Christians who were being persecuted who are being put to death, who are being tormented for their faith. He said, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Why? Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. God wants to bless you no matter what. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And Peter says, well, who's going to do you harm for, for being eager to do good? But even if that sh you should suffer, even if that happens, you should suffer for what is right. Here, Peter says, you're blessed. Even if you suffer for doing what is right, you will be blessed. So don't fear what they fear. And don't be frightened. Once again, in this passage, we see some very clear directives. Don't return evil for evil, but instead bless those who curse you. And by the way, Jesus said the same thing. That's where Peter learned this. And the promise is that if you suffer, even if you suffer for doing what is right, God promises to bless you. He promises to bless you. Now, I've read this passage, and maybe you have before as well, and you're thinking, mm, yeah, how? What does that blessing look like? How will I get blessed? Well, if that means that you expect you're always going to live the, the fat and happy life, then, well, that doesn't always happen. Does it mean you'll never have a problem and never struggle with anything? Is that what blessing is? No, I don't think so. In fact, as a slave, keep in mind, as a slave, Joseph was blessed by God, but he was still a slave. As a prisoner, he was blessed by God, but he was still a prisoner. Because here's the problem with us, and I would say us because it includes me at times. We too often equate blessing with material or, or, or physical material blessings, money, stuff, possessions, property, 
or we equate the blessing with a life of ease. If God's blessing me, then my life is easy. We might not say that out loud, but we kind of think that all too often. If I really have the blessed of God, then I'm gonna have everything I want and my life is gonna be peachy keen. I won't have any problems. But in the kingdom of God, if you read the New Testament, if you understand that, yes, sometimes God does bless people with stuff. But more often than not, the blessings of the kingdom are not, have nothing to do with material blessings. They're not measured by property or possessions. They're measured by his presence, measured by him. The, blessed, the best blessings are not determined by having everything go the way you want, but by our lives going the way he wants. Jesus said that we would suffer tribulations, struggle, trials in this life. But he promised to be with us. Joseph was in the worst possible state anyone can find themselves in. I don't know your story, maybe a few of you, but I, I don't know anybody in this room who's lived as a slave or who has been falsely accused and lived as a prisoner, who's lived in a dungeon, not some you know, prison with, with a, a, any modern amenities, a dark, dungy, horrible place. And not just for a few months, but for a long time. I don't know anybody who's gone through what Joseph's gone through. And yet Joseph stayed the course. And it says that the Lord was with him. In fact, in Genesis 39, it says it twice. Twice. In Genesis 39, two says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Don't miss us here. The Lord was with him where? While he lived as a slave in the house of his Egyptian master. It says the same thing in verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph. I often like to use my God-given, you know, creative imagination. I think that's a gift from God that we are able to imagine and create and use our minds to picture things. And I'm not adding to the Bible, but I imagine Joseph lying on his cot at night, perhaps sobbing, unhappy, struggling, wandering. And yet, in that moment, he begins to sense this presence of God in his life. And he realizes he's not alone. And he cries out to Yahweh, he cries out to God. And he realizes he's not alone, the Lord is with him. He's in a dark, cold confinement of a prison, but somehow he's profoundly aware, the Lord is with me, I will not fear. Psalm 34, verse 18, one of my favorite scriptures in the verse of Psalm, Psalm says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now either that's true or it's not, guys. Either it's true that the Lord is close to us, to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit, or it's not. Now, here's the problem. Here's, and I've been here. I have been here. We think, well, I don't feel the Lord. <laughs> if the Lord is with me, then why don't I feel God's presence? Why isn't there like angels appearing and, and the, the glory of God all around me? Why don't I see this cloud and, and rainbows and, you know, unicorns? Why don't I, I, I don't know where I got that from, but why don't I feel God in some way? I, it says the Lord is close and that he saves us, but I don't always feel that. Listen to me, listen carefully. The Bible doesn't promise that we'll always feel it challenges us to know, to know, to choose to trust. Faith comes into play when we say, I believe even when I don't feel. I choose to trust even when everything cries out against it. I will put my hope in him. Sometimes we've got to operate by what we know, not just by what we feel. God has promised, we looked at it last week, Jesus promised to always be with us. And so here's my encouragement to you today. And I say this with tears. I've prayed a lot for you, and, and the last 48 hours, I've gotten two uh, 
emails from East Pointers that have just gone through horrific things, trauma in their life. And so I don't say this lightly, but here's my, here's my, my prayer, I hope. Let brokenness, let failure, let defeat, let fear refine you rather than define you. Let it refine you rather than define you. Because Joseph, he's a good example to us. As someone who knew the agony of wounds, he knew the struggle of hardship and trouble. He knew the torment of a dream delayed. 20 years he waited for the dream to be fulfilled. That's a long time in anybody's book. But Joseph also knew that the hand of God was with him. And Joseph was held captive by a love that was stronger than his pain. Are you listening to me? Joseph was held captive by a love that is stronger than his pain. And that's my prayer for you. One last story, and we'll wrap this up. I'm gonna sing uh, one more amazing song of worship, and I'm gonna pray for you. Many years ago, um, my grandmother Cole, Frances Lily Cole, passed away. And she was always very special to me. Uh, first couple of years of my life, my grandmother pretty much raised me. My mom was a working mom, and uh, my grandmother lived with us and for almost the first two years. She fed me and changed lots of my diapers and cared for me, and I was very close to her. I was the oldest in uh, my kids, uh, our family, and uh, Grandma uh, Cole was very special to me. She passed away when I was in high school, but let me tell you just a little bit. Just her, her story's actually been written out, but let me just tell you a little bit of what my grandmother Cole went through. She was a farmer's wife. Uh, if you know farmers, you know that's never an easy life. Farmer's wife, my grandpa, Warren Cole, was a good man. They lived in Eureka, Montana. At that time, my grandmother had eight children, and a ninth was in her womb. My mama, who's the baby, was in my grandmother, uh, grandmother's womb. My grandpa um, needed to go out and do hunting. Now, he wasn't hunting for sport. They were pretty poor. They lived hand in mouth. And he's going out to hunt for food. He's doing deer hunting, trying to bring something back to feed and care for his family. And while he was out hunting, a greenhorn, somebody doesn't know what he's doing, shot and killed my grandpa. Thought he was an animal, shot and killed him. My grandmother, eight kids, ninth one in her belly on the way, and her husband, her, her best friend, is just ridiculously killed in a horrible accident. They have nothing. They're poor. They're not sure what to do. A couple of the older kids step up and begin to help out. They end up leaving the farm, moving to uh, the Seattle area to live. But here's what I need you to know about my grandmother, Cole. She was an amazing woman of God who trusted in God, who loved God, who believed in God, who really did believe that he had his hand on her life always. She never had a lot, never died rich, still died pretty much the way she lived with almost nothing. And yet she had this great blessing of God in her life. Let me tell you about my aunts and uncles. The nine of them, every one of them, either served their country, served in the medical field, served as missionaries, or served as pastors or pastor's wives. Every one of them. Nine amazing people who loved and served others their entire life. Most of them have gone to be with Jesus now. But the ripple effect of their lives has touched literally tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. Guys, I'm a part of that heritage, of my grandmother Cole's heritage. If my grandmother had given up, had said, forget it, God, I'm out of here, I'm done with you. If this is the best you can do is take my husband from me when I've got a baby in my womb and eight kids to raise, then I'm done with you. But she did just the opposite. And I asked my grandmother once, I said, Grandma, how did you do it? I'm, at this point, I'm 16, 17 years of age. I said, Grandma, tell me how you did all this. How did you survive? And she said, Grandson, Jesus was always with me. Jesus was always with me. The power of those words have stuck with me now for 40 years because he is. Back ahead, let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for the truth. 
even though sometimes we don't feel it, we don't sense it, we feel like we are all alone in that dark, horrible place. The reality is, God, you are there. You're right there. You're close to the brokenhearted. And I want to ask you this morning, Holy Spirit, would you come and just wrap your arms around some of those in this room or watching online right now who are in just a dark and difficult place? Maybe they're looking back to things that happened and they still have no idea what or why and they still carried the weight of that for years, maybe decades. Today, Lord, right here, would you begin the healing process in their hearts? Will they surrender that to you and they choose just like Joseph? He had to have chosen at some point and probably chose many times over to say, I don't get it, but I trust in God. I don't understand, but I will surrender my life to the one who's promised to be with me. Lord, would you help us through this dark place, this hard place? Lord, I don't know what's coming. I, don't, I have no idea what's gonna happen later today, let alone next week, next month, next year, next decade for any of us. But Lord, I pray that you just burn into our souls today this reality that no matter what, we can choose to stay the course because we choose to believe that you are there, that you are with us, and that you are greater, that the one who holds us and the strength of his hand is greater than any pain we experience. Any pain we've known, any pain we know right now, or any pain we might experience in the future, help us, Lord, leave here more convinced than ever that you are with us, you're here. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. I, I cannot imagine going through life without God. I, I just, there's no way I would have survived what I've gone through without him. But I want you to know today that, that uh, you're here, and it's not by accident. Jesus brought you here because he loves you. And he's reminding you right now that he's made an offer to you. It's, a, it's an offer of salvation, of grace, of mercy, forgiveness. And it will change your eternal destiny. That's why this matters so much. It will change your eternal destiny because he wants to spend eternity with you. But our part is to embrace what he did for us on the cross, to say, yes, God, I believe you sent Jesus for me. Yes, God, I believe Jesus died for me. Yes, Jesus, I believe you live. And our part is to say, and so I surrender my life to you. I embrace your gift of salvation. I surrender my all, my past, my present, my future to you. If that's you, that's what you want today, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer right now. And I'm gonna ask you, whether you're sitting in this room or watching online, just in your own soul, your own heart, just embrace this prayer. Make these words yours right now. Pray that in your heart with me. Father, thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for living for me. And right here, right now, right now, I surrender my life to you. There's a lot I don't understand about what's happened. There's a lot of pain and, and mistakes and failure, and all sorts of things behind me. And I, I'm right in the thick of it, maybe right now, but Jesus, I choose to trust in you. I entrust my life to you. And in this moment, right here, right now, I'm yours forever. I'm choosing you forever. I'm surrendering my life to you forever. Right here, right now, I'm saying, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Now, if that's you, and that's your heart, your desire, in your own way, just say, yep, God, that's me. That's what I want. That's what I need. 
And the Bible says the moment you make that decision, it's a heart decision. It's something that you do deep within your soul and heart. But the minute you say yes to him, the Bible says you become his child. You're his now. You belong to him and he belongs to you forever. You're his child. Lord, thank you for those making that decision. Again, seal it. Wrap that truth into their heart deeply, Lord, that they leave here today changed forever because of you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. It's one of my favorites, guys. It's a song. It's really a prayer. It's a song of hope, a song of trust. Let's sing this great song, Oceans, together, and then I'll come back up and wrap it up. A few of you were able to sing that last part on yours and your mind for the very first time today is truth in your life because you said yes to him. I encourage you to let somebody know. Let me know. We want to walk with you in this journey. There's uh, in the baskets by the doors, got a Bible, plastic basket, a Bible, some tricky starting walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Next time we run first steps, get in that class. It's a 45-minute class on Sundays. Get baptized in water. Those are the things that you need to continue to do to grow. We want to walk in this journey with you. If you're a guest today and you haven't picked up a copy of my book, my first book is in the information uh, booth in the lobby. It's called Epic Grace Chronicles of Recovering Idiot. That's available to you. Just to let you know a little bit more about who we are and what I'm all about. I'll remind you, this Friday night, Project Hope, ladies, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be life-changing. And then I need you guys to sign up for EP 101 ASAP so we can get that ready for next Sunday afternoon. And then next Sunday during service, we're going to talk about Moses. Anybody ever make a mistake before? Yeah, well, we'll take a look at Moses who made some poor choices like killing somebody and how yet God worked even in the midst of that. If you need prayer, prayer team would be down front. If you need communion, like communion, it's available on both sides of the room. And my prayer for you is that you'll go this week and that you'll know no matter what, that you're not alone. God bless you guys. And I guess one last thing I need to say is go Zags. God bless you. Amen. <laughs>